Yeah, it's always this question of if you earn more, does it mean I have to earn less? I mean, I'm pretty sure she would have done a better job by investing them in S&P 500, but you know, each to their own. What if I wanted to buy a haircut? Do I give a bottle of milk? Maybe it costs a chicken. <laughs> what if I only have milk? <laughs> it's no haircut for you then, my love. There's been a very similar study repeated in Europe with similar results and brought up this potential idea that the lack of money makes you miserable instead of money making you happy. One thing I cannot say about myself is that I'm chill about money. I'm never chill about money. Andrea, and together with my co-host Anna, in this episode we're going to be drilling into an everyday consuming subject, money. Welcome to Sunder Characters. Anna, what is money? Here goes our trusted source again. So according to Google, the actual definition of money is that it is a commodity accepted by general consent as a medium of economic exchange. It is the medium in which prices and values are expressed. Now, as currency, it circulates anonymously from person to person and country to country, thus facilitating trade. And it is the principal measure of wealth. What is your personal opinion about what money is? How do you see them as? It's very interesting because the first thing that comes to my mind when I say money, except that they are a piece of paper, but I normally don't have cash on hand most of the times. I see them more as my debit card. And I don't have a strong opinion on money. I think I evolved from being a child and thinking that money is all to be invested, build another house, change the kitchen cabinets, compared to now where I see them more as a way of facilitating a stable life. What about you? Do you have a similar perception? No. (laughs) For me, money was a very emotional journey and it's a continuous journey. One thing I cannot say about myself is that I'm chill about money. I'm never chill about money, but I'm learning to get better at it day by day. It makes me think about Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is this financial guru in US. And when you said emotional journey, that's exactly what he talks about. He tends to say that people don't have a deeper reflection on money and how they are affecting our lives until We don't take the emotional side or until they impact us from an emotional point of view. That moment when we say enough is enough or I make too much to be this broke. And that's when people start looking at their finances and how they improve their current situation with money. Yeah, I think a lot of people relate with how emotional money can be. And some people do it easier than others. But going back to what I said, I'm on an ongoing journey with it. What do you think influences this concept of money or our personal perception of money? The first thing that pops to mind is the culture and values, shortly followed by our families. On top of that is our own personal experiences with money. Where I grew up, I kind of learned that money is put in a negative context. And I like to think about these sayings that we have. We have them in all the languages, but I think some of them have really, really manifested in my life in how I feel about money, how I felt about money more likely. So if you hear the same thing over and over again, it's very easy to wake up in a scarcity mindset. So some of the common sayings are money doesn't grow on trees and I'm not made of money or 
money can't buy happiness, money is the root of all evil. These are the negative ones, but there are also a lot of positive ones, which I, by the way, never heard of them until I moved to England, just (laughs) as a little caveat. Some of them are more around money attracts money and cash is king and you need money to make money. I would like to add here, and initially I thought, okay, perhaps our perspective of money and our experience with money comes from Romania and Eastern Europe overall. But then I thought about people that live in the capital and people that actually were very well off. I don't think in Eastern Europe, all people are poor or all people think money are having a negative impact on our lives or they have a negative connotation. So I think it depends a lot on how we grew up and on what we compare them with. So Andrea, how would you feel if I were to say to you, here's 1 million pounds, you can have it. My bank account details are. (laughs) (laughs) Also like, I want to be a millionaire. Okay. What if I were to say, actually, I'll give you 2 million pounds. Copy the same bank detail information. (laughs) Now, what if I were to say, I'll give you this money, but you will not wake up tomorrow morning. Do you still want them? No, take them back. I don't need them. The lesson I learned from this is we actually appreciate life in itself a lot more than money. And the question was, then why don't we wake up excited every morning? Because, you know, we are waking up, we are alive, we have the opportunity to experience another day. Just as a side note, I do wake up excited (laughs) every day. (laughs) Okay, let's discuss further this idea that money cannot buy happiness. Well, money is important to happiness. And if you don't believe me, ask anyone who doesn't have them. If you have a higher income, you can have access to homes in safer neighborhoods. You can have better health care and you can have better food and you can probably choose a better career, a more fulfilling type of work. The last one that money can buy you is leisure time or time to do the things that you're passionate about. Lack of money in our early days, in our childhood, can really set up us for failure in adulthood and it can develop unhealthy relationships with money later down the line. So that means that we can either spend excessively or get into debt or I don't know, other things that weird things that we do with money. I also think it goes on the other side. We become excessive savers and we don't enjoy the little things in life. Instead of going out for a coffee, we're thinking, yeah, but with three pounds, I can make my own coffee at home for a full week. Then it kind of takes away from the purpose of money. It does because it's there to be enjoyed. So none of these extremes is good. Mm -hmm. It's all about equilibrium. You save a bit, you invest a bit, you give. You cannot just save and then wake up every morning and save a bit more. Do we expect to wake up when we are 90 years old and say, yeah, maybe now it's time to go and get that coffee or it's not the time. We can still make our own coffee for another week at home. I mean, do you not know stories of anyone who kept money under the mattress for a really long time? Because I do know so many. I have one very vivid in my mind. I was watching TV back home and I remember this lady, she passed away, unfortunately. She didn't have any family. She didn't have any kids, any relatives. No one claimed her. So they wanted to destroy the house and you know, make use of that land. And what they found in her attic were bags full of money, money under the carpets. I think it's actually, I don't know if it's a funny story or a sad story, 
you don't have anything in this world, you pass away, and then you have all this money that are gathering dust. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure she would have done a better job by investing them in S&P 500, but, you know, it's to their own. I'm sure she did. <laughs> or maybe even give them to charity. Don't just put them in bags. About this money under the mattress story. In Romania, I excessively heard something along the lines of money are the devil's eyes. Ooh. But look at other cultures. Not every culture has got this money mindset. I mean, the Jewish perception of money is very, very different. Yeah, and I think one of the oldest Jewish stereotypes is the idea that Jews are good with money and they are very well represented in finance and business. For them, money has a symbolic as well as material value in their culture and has been like this for centuries. Daniel Lapin, who talks about the perception of money in his book, Thou Shall Prosper, details the 10 permanent principles for business that have been part of the Jewish culture. Current ups and downs in the economy just prove that the more things change, the more we need to depend upon the things that never change. There's been research on this idea that money cannot buy happiness, or at least the research tried to understand the role money plays in people's emotional lives. The study done in 2010 found that money did have an impact on how people evaluate their lives, where people with more money feel better about theirs. However, emotional well-being rose with income, as perhaps we all expected to, but only to an annual salary of 75,000 US dollars. Beyond that, people were no happier with higher salaries. In the follow-up research done by Killingsworth in 2021, the conclusion was that higher incomes might still have potential to improve people's day-to-day well-being rather than having already reached a plateau at 75k a year. And needless to say that from where I stand, two holidays sound better than one. Absolutely. In other words, maybe money cannot buy love, as the Beatles song might say, but it might continue to help buying happiness for the well-off. There's been a very similar study repeated in Europe with similar results and brought up this potential idea that the lack of money makes you miserable instead of money making you happy. Yeah, that makes so much sense. The lack of, it's not the having of it, it's the lack of it. Exactly. Because people that have a lot of money, they cannot buy friendships per se, or they cannot buy deeper connections. They cannot buy meaning, buy purpose, but still you're not struggling to pay your bills every month. Yeah. It's like in the pyramid of, you know, wants and needs. We, we need to fulfill those needs first. Is money an evil necessity or a price that we have to pay for freedom? Depends how we're looking at it. First of all, the first known form of currency was actually created around 5,000 years ago. I want to discuss life before having cash because I have questions. For instance, what if I wanted to buy a haircut? Do I give a bottle of milk? Maybe it costs a chicken. (laughs) What if I only have milk? (laughs) It's no haircut for you then, my love. Well, so when there was no currency, people traded goods and services for what they needed. One farmer might have traded livestock for vegetables, and maybe the person who didn't have livestock, they would have traded their manual labor. These transactions were the early building blocks of our modern economy, right? And they went on to create the future of money in the world as we know it today. We discussed in our first episode the idea of financial freedom in order to have this freedom. Seems like money is an absolute necessity. Yes, it is a necessity, but I don't think that money is 
good or bad. It's our perception of them that makes it so and what we do with them, right? And I'm really surprised that in the first question, when I asked you, what is money for you? You said something along the lines of my debit card, because your answer may as well could have been money is just energy. I mean, I know I have a few people in my life who say that money is just energy. It flows to me. Yeah. And I think once you learn the law of attraction, it's very easy to think of it as an energy. Yes, I'm learning. I'm learning. Andre, question. Which country do you think is the happiest in the world? Anna, but I cannot answer this question because I watch way too many YouTube vlogs. And you already know that I am obsessed with Yes Theory. And I've already seen that episode where they went to the happiest country in the world, which for our listeners, they say it's Bhutan. But if I was to extract this out of my brain, I would have thought that it's somewhere in Asia. See, initially I thought somewhere down south, somewhere where it's nice and warm. I don't know why, because for me, when the sun is out, I feel happier. According to the World Happiness Report, funded by the UN and implemented 10 years ago, it seems like Finland was elected happiest country in the world. And they have a rank, so this is out of 10. And the report is based on opinion polls that ask people how happy they feel. This information overlaps with GDP data, individual levels of freedom, or corruption, among other things. For the fifth year in a row, for the World's Happiness Report ranking, Finland came with a score of 7.82 out of 10, and it's ahead of Denmark, Iceland, Switzerland, and the Netherlands, which are next on the list. This kind of leaves Afghanistan on the last place. Why Finland? Are you intrigued? <laughs> yes, a little bit. I want to know. I know, because it's not really sunny in Finland, is it? You no. can't lie to me. <laughs> this ranking... Except from some of the things we mentioned, like GDP, individual levels of freedom, corruption. They have high healthy life expectancy. They have social support in time of troubles, high social trust, generosity in the community. Apparently, people in Finland tend to look after each other. And also, they have this freedom to make key life decisions without restrictions. The thing I've learned about Northern countries is there are amongst the top 10 countries in the world with the least amount of consumer debt per disposable income, which is really, really interesting. So we've got Denmark, Norway, and I'm pretty sure that Finland is also there. Maybe they're related. I mean, it makes sense. They cannot missed in me. All I can think about is, all right, consumer debt, does it mean loans are not necessary or they're not as available or they have more support from their governments? This is very interesting. Yes. To answer the question, if it's evil necessity or price to pay for freedom, I wouldn't say evil necessity. And I do think it's a price to pay for a certain type of freedom because freedom of speech, thinking about it, yeah, perhaps you can buy your freedom of speech, but depends what country you're from. I guess if the corruption is very high, yes, you'll be able to buy your freedom. I think it's a combination of the two of them, but I would take out the evil side. Yeah, I don't think it's always evil. I do think it's a necessity. Speaking of necessity, how about this question? Is money a necessity for abundance? Depends what we define as abundance. There is this book by Bob Proctor, You Were Born Rich. And he says that money will have a greater influence on your life than almost any other commodity you can think of. There can be no denial of the fact that money is important to any person living in civilized society. Now, how far it goes for this necessity of abundance depends how you class abundance, right? How would you define abundance? Like a very large quantity of something. 
Oh, it makes me think about my cat <laughs> and the abundance of ha- cat hairs, I think. Okay. So to be honest, abundance for me is more like a mindset. And I really like to explain it through this quote. The mind is everything. What you think you become, what you feel you attract, what you imagine you create. And I know it sounds really clever. I didn't say that. Buddha said that. God bless Buddha. Or maybe it's not really appropriate, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> But it also makes me think about the spirituality side of things. So the spiritual abundance. In the spiritual context, the notion of abundance or plenty is less about material conditions. It's revolving, obviously, once basic needs are met, it's revolving around an appreciation of life in its fullness, joy and strength of mind, body and soul. Yeah, it's always this question of... If you earn more, does it mean I have to earn less? But also if you read some of the financial books or if you're interested in this abundance mindset, they also say the idea of money as a never-ending resource. There is the law of abundance. And this one says that there is enough food, there is enough money, opportunities, love, compassion, wellness, and light for all of us. In other words, the way I look at money is the way I look at love. If you have more money, does it mean I have less? Not necessary. We thought the same about artists. I remember when I was crazy about Mariah Carey and I thought there will never be another artist. There's no space for any other artist out there. And now we can see new bands that I absolutely adore. When I'm on Spotify, I think to myself, where was my life before Dua Lipa? There was everyone's life before Dua Lipa, you know? (laughs) To be very honest, I think this idea of you having more means that someone else will have less. It doesn't sit right with me because I know, I know that in the capitalist world, that's not how it works. Mm. And when we say about love, I always ask my mom, do you love me or my sister more? She'll be like, no, I love you the same. And I'm like, that's impossible because if you love me, how are you going to have enough love for my sister? Who do you love more? And I would lie if I said that I didn't ask the same question. (laughs) Tricky question. Do we control money or does money control us? I had to look into this one to kind of understand the signs. If, you know, I let myself be controlled by money or I control money. There are an extensive number of signs that prove that money are controlling us. For instance, do we tend to worry about money or having enough? Or do we often wish we could buy more things? So it's more the material side of it. Or do you spend money to feel better? And I think I was guilty of that. Going shopping and, you know, buying a new dress because oh, makes me feel like a brand new person. Do we blame others for our financial problems? Or do we feel a bit judgmental when people discuss the amount of money they make? And also, if money controls our mood. In a society where we have inflation, we have wars which I didn't think is going to happen in 2022, but here we are today. With inflation, if you have three kids, if you cannot buy enough food, does it control your mood? Of course, you're not going to feel great about it, are you? But there are also signs that we are controlling the money ourselves. When we decide what to buy, save for it and get it as an alternative to instant gratification, which I think our generation and perhaps the newer generation, we are guilty of. We want to have it now. That's the reason we borrow money. That's the reason we have credit cards. Yeah, I'll pay it at the end of the month. That's future me problem. Yeah. And that's why we have services that make a lot of money out of that. I see you pay in three months installments for a pen that's 10 pounds 
or this product can be yours with only 24 easy payments. Yeah, and a lot of interest, no problem. Other signs are that you invest in yourself, so it's very easy for you to pay for education, for books, for personal improvement. We use our money as a tool to follow our dreams and reach goals. Where would you say you land between these two lists? This changed a lot over the years. Before I used to buy, you know, a dress just because I wanted to feel better about myself. But nowadays, if I don't effing love it, I effing hate it. That's my motto nowadays. But on the other side, the idea of increasing my net worth every year is very appealing to me. And I, I work towards this consistently every month. I wouldn't say it's a perfect relationship. What about you? Are you far from this? I think I'm doing a lot of good things in order to not let the money control me. So I say for every single big purchase, and to be honest, not for every single big purchase, for every purchase. Well, uh, <laughs> someone has to. It doesn't have to be big. Seriously, I have a budget for everything in my life and that works for me. I don't do any impulse buys and I like to invest in my education. So when I do my budget, I also allocate a fair amount of my spending money into books and courses and things. But I also fall very guilty of blaming the government, looking at the inflation, looking at the corruption and saying, ah, oh, this is not working out for a lot of people. And I think I am within my right to say that, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't affect my mood because that comes with a lot of anger. I remember when I went from hating the fact that I paid taxes to now being like, actually, I'm helping support particular sectors of our economy. You know, the health system, especially in the UK where we have NHS, I'm thinking I'm actually helping, probably I'm not paying someone's wage by no means, but I'm helping towards that. So it's just a, a shift in mindset, I would say. To a certain extent, a lot of what we think and how we behave with the money comes from our biases we have about money. And to be honest, biases that we have about life in general. And they translate into our relationship with finance and money. Before we make any decision, a battle is waged in our mind. An emotion versus reason. When our emotion wins, we say it's due to a bias. There are many biases, but for today, I've just prepared a few to discuss about. Actually, I mainly focus on our cognitive biases. So a cognitive bias is an unconscious part of our thinking process. You know, because life is complicated and our brain is kind of lazy. We tend to develop shortcuts in our thinking that leads us to potentially making some illogical decisions. The first one I would like to talk about is the status quo bias. This happens when we tend to do what we already do because it's comfortable. So think about the way we are loyal to a certain type of brand. So if you like to buy the same shampoo, you don't want to really look at others. I completely relate to this. That's why I don't tend to change my, I don't know, internet provider. Because if it ain't broken, don't fix it. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly that. But you know how this translates negatively in our relationship with money? If it's not comfortable for us to save or invest, we will keep doing that because it's too uncomfortable to change. So actually, the status quo bias can really work against ourselves. And if I'm looking at how long it took me to invest and feel comfortable and confident in investing with a particular company. I mean, I'm talking five years here, five years of listening to YouTube videos, of reading books, because it's very easy. Oh, you, you should invest. 
SP500, very easy, very stable. It's been around for so many years. But then where do you start? So you put yourself outside your comfort zone where you already start saving, but then giving this saved money to someone that you don't know, you don't trust them. How would you? Unless perhaps your parents invested with that particular company. I think this is a hard decision going outside our comfort zone. And of course, it can hurt us long term, because if you invest when you're in your early 20s, the chances of you becoming a millionaire are a lot higher and you can invest a lot less to get there compared to if you start investing when you're 40, where the amount will have to be substantially more. Yes. Which leads me to my next bias, which is the confirmation bias. So this happens When we go looking for answers, even though we already know what the answer is, because what we actually seek in reality is validation. This can have a very negative effect on us in terms of wealth when we say things like everyone has debt. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Everyone has debt. Hence, this makes it okay for us to also have debt since everyone is doing the same thing. In reality, we know that not everyone has debt and not everyone invests, but We are seeking the stories where other people have done the same thing so we can feel validated. And I think for the majority of people who struggle with this confirmation bias, which is, by the way, all of us, the solution and the way we can make it work into our favor is to seek the people that have already done the change that we want to do. So then we kind of make this work for ourselves. The way we try to convince ourselves, like I'm going to surround myself with people that have a lot of debt. I'll have half of the debt they have. So I'm like, oh, actually, I'm not that bad, am I? Yeah. And the same happened with me with my student loan. My problem is not the fact that I took out the student loan because it's really, really helped me. And without a student loan, probably I wouldn't be where I am today. Leaving that aside, the moment I decide I have to pay my student loan, when I was talking to my colleagues at work and I was making a comment on the amount I have to pay every month to pay this off. And they said, oh, you you still have your student loan? I'm like, what about you guys? You don't have a student loan? And they said to me, they had a student loan, but they paid it off. I mean, within the first few years of their career. And that moment was, wow, I can actually pay this off. Because I had the means to do so. I just preferred to spend my money somewhere else. And I'm so glad you shared that story with me earlier because you also convinced me to pay my student loan off. I don't think I convinced you and I did not pay it off for you. I think our conversation... You could have done. You could have done. (laughs) (laughs) What's done is done. Now you paid it off. I'm very proud of you. So I think, you know, my help is no longer needed. (laughs) No, you, you haven't actually done any of the convincing part. You were just sharing the story and I just kind of looked at it like, why am I not doing this? Excuse me? Yeah. The idea of following the crowd can actually work in our advantage. If the crowd goes in the right direction, oh, you better follow them. If that means no debt, if that means investing, saving, that can take you very far financially speaking. Yeah, follow the crowd. The other bias that we have, is not really a bias, it's called a spotlight effect. And that happens whenever we buy something and think that this will impress someone else like a new car or a new pair of shoes, because someone will say, oh, wow, what a cool car you have, or what a nice pair of shoes. In reality, I don't think many people care about what shoes we have and what car we drive, but we do do that. If you look at social media, and I will not go into details because we are definitely influenced by the people we follow online. I want to say this much, Dyson, 
the Hoover Dyson. <laughs> and I leave it there. It's the whole Mac aesthetic for me. That's what does it. <laughs> on that note, should we see what other people say on social media? The first question was, is money good or bad? And someone said, neither. Is a tool and like a hammer. If you choose to intentionally harm someone with it, then it's an act of evil. But if you choose to build and do good, then it's good. Money is a tool of trade, nothing more, nothing less. I think that's very powerful. I like this one. Money is not observed as the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is called the root of all evil. Money in itself is morally neutral. The things that money can buy you, that money represents, are the things that the darkest parts of mankind lust after. Power, control, material wealth, which inevitably leads to the full corruption of men, including the destruction of themselves and those around them. Yeah. Power and control. That's why some of the countries are in the position they are. Yeah. Because their leaders are just looking for material wealth or power to control the rest of the population. Well, another question was, can money buy happiness? Someone said, no, but you can buy relief from misery. It can buy you dogs. Someone said, it's not that it doesn't buy you happiness. Is that happiness is really expensive and being moderately wealthy only lets you afford to be happy a tiny fraction of the time. Technically, yes and no, someone else said. I say this because that saying was never meant for the poor. It was meant for the rich. Ouch. Yeah. I mean, as you said at the beginning, it depends if you ask a poor person if money brings happiness. Someone that cannot pay their bills, someone that cannot keep a roof over their head. Someone else said that someone who grew up poor and makes quadruple what my parents made, of course he does. Anyone who says otherwise is feeding you propaganda to keep you as part of the slave class. Yeah. Very strong. Now, Andre, if you had to describe in one phrase your own perception of money or experience, what would that be? Keep them coming. <laughs> and I would say money can be used as a tool to improve your life. <laughs>